Welcome to this episode of Police the Beat. I'm Dr. Vicky Conway, and in this side series to Police, we consider news, events, and emerging research about policing in Ireland. I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Ursula Kilkelly of UCC and Dr. Louise Ford of Brunel University, who are here to tell us about a new study which they've just published called Children's Rights and Police Questioning. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Great to be here, Vicky. Thanks very much. Yeah, great to have you. Um, this is hugely important work for a variety of reasons, but perhaps the most immediate thing that strikes me is that we know so little about what happens in police stations in Ireland, particularly in relation to children. And the issue of policing of children is something we've looked at directly a few times now on Policed. So it's really great to have a chance to discuss this research in detail. So um, Ursula, could I start by asking you, what was what was the aim of the research? Well, as you say, we we know um, a certain amount about how, how the law works in practice, but we really don't know much about how children experience the law and how children experience their rights uh, during police questioning. And it was this very specific issue that we looked to try and drill down into in the study, which fortunately uh, received the support of the policing authority, where we're very pleased to be one of the first bursary uh, winners um, from under that scheme. Um, so what we wanted to do was try and explore directly with children themselves what their experience of their rights w- were and then to look at the experience from a number of different perspectives. So from the perspectives of the Gardaí who were involved in, in um, interviewing children, from the perspective of, of lawyers, mainly solicitors, who support children through that process as legal representatives. And then finally, the experience of parents or those who, who provide uh, support or advocacy for children in those situations. So it was really to look from those different perspectives at children's experiences of their rights during police questioning. Because this is like, I think we can all, we all get a bit inured to it. I think that people are detained all the time and questioned all the time. But actually, for any person being detained, like that moment of questioning is such a key moment in your life, potentially, isn't it? It's it's very significant. And I think there's always a there's always a challenge with any study of something like the legal system and legal process that those who work in it become very used to it, very accustomed to it and and think that those who also who are in and out of it a little bit, uh, like some some children are, that they also understand it to the same extent and detail as those professionals who work in it. And so this was really key as it was as a backdrop to the study. You can only really understand children's experience by talking to children themselves about about that experience. And we were keen to hear from children who had uh, limited one off experience as much as we wanted to hear from children who had a lot of experience. Um, and so that diversity was was important, notwithstanding that it's it's really a small study, a little snapshot, a glimpse into what children's experiences are like in, in that context. And Louise, could you tell us then, how did you go about it? What was the actual methodology used? Yeah, of course. So um, as Ursula was saying, the main focus really was on understanding um, the experiences from the children's point of view, from um, the young people's point of view. Um, Obviously, before we um, spoke to anybody, we did um, a review of the international um, standards in the area set out under the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, the Child Friendly Justice Guidelines, the European Convention on Human Rights, um, as well as the domestic legal framework, just to get a sense 
sense of what the overall um, rights framework um, was and also looked at um, the other studies that have been done on this issue in um, other jurisdictions and that really helped us to identify some of the common issues um, that come up in other jurisdictions when children are being interviewed um, by the police. Um, and so when we were thinking about going um, and speaking to young people um, about their experiences, we wanted to make sure that we were doing that in a way that was um, appropriate for, for the young people and um, was sensitive to the fact that this may be something that was difficult for them to, to speak about. So um, we were able to consult both with um, an international expert um, steering group and with, um, very importantly, a young person's advisory group. Um, who advised us um, about our question frame and about um, the, the best way to go about approaching young people about, about this subject, the best way to make them feel comfortable, to make sure that they felt safe um, and that they were comfortable in, in, in sharing their experiences. So um, our focus really was on understanding um, children's experiences, but we also wanted to get the insights of um, the others who were involved in, in, in this process. So we wanted to understand what the issues were from um, the perspective of um, members of the Gardaí, um, lawyers and parents and, and adults who, who supported young people in this context as well. Um, and while the focus was really on children's experiences, we felt it was important to have that more holistic um, kind of perspective on, on what those issues were in terms of understanding um, where the barriers might be and how um, to begin to think about how going about addressing these. So um, we spoke to um, a number of, of um, different kind of cohorts. So we spoke to, to 20 um, young people in total. Um, some of those young people um, had very limited experience of um, being interviewed by, by the Gardaí, but some had much more um, significant. I would have had experience of being questioned on, on multiple times. Um, and those young people for, were from were from different areas throughout the country and um, with that different level of, of experience. Um, we were also able to speak um, to nine members of Agarda Shiokona who had um, experience with interviewing um, young people, again, at different levels of experience. Um, some did this much more regularly um, than others, but um, to get again that that, that um, variety and that um, breadth, I suppose, um, of experience, notwithstanding the small numbers involved. Um, we also spoke to a number of lawyers uh, um, who advised young people in this context, um, a small number of lawyers, um, four lawyers in total, and then three parents um, or supportive adults who had um, supported young people when they were being questioned. And it is, when you read the report, it is um, that kind of 360 approach is really evident and really brings the work alive because you've got the kids saying one thing and then the lawyer's perspective and the guard's perspective. And it's also really great to see the guards participating in this research mm. because that's not something that has happened too often in Ireland. So it's really brilliant that they did. Um, the report then goes through the, the variety of um, issues that came up and the findings that you make. Um, and one of the first issues that arises is around access to information. So children being told about their rights and what they're entitled to know. Um, what kind of findings did you make in relation to this? Um, so 
One of the things I suppose that that came out was that young people um, didn't always have a full understanding um, of what the process was going to be, um, either at the point of, of um, being um, arrested and, and beginning to be questioned um, or when they were, were leaving um, the, the police station following questioning. Um, one of the things that came up is even where information was, was given um, and, you know, this, um, children would say, oh, they read out a particular sheet. Um, you know, it was, it was, I suppose it wasn't always clear how much the, the information was being, um, taken on. Or also whether they understood the significance and the possible consequences of this information. And I think that's really the important point. You know, giving information is one thing, but explaining about why and how it's useful and how they can exercise um, th- those rights within that context um, is really important in terms of thinking about the process overall. So there was a really striking quote at one point, you know, one of the kids saying that they use those big law words like, um, I just don't know what they mean. Yeah. And many of the young people did feel that they could ask, you know, if they if they didn't understand something and they felt that, oh yeah, well they explained it then after that. Um but from you know the other point of view view the lawyers especially and, and some of the parents and, and adults um in a supporting role that we spoke to really felt that young people from their perspective weren't really taking the information in properly. Did you want to comment there as well? Just one of the real values of the different perspectives, I suppose, is the the, the difference between, between the information that's imparted, which many accepted was done quite well, um, and and how that's received or understood. And there's the importance of how you check that that, that information is understood, that missing piece in, in follow through uh, from from the young person's perspective was something that we 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 found um, very evident in 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 the interviews. Yeah, um, I was really struck as well by some of the findings around the conditions of custody because obviously they're going to be interviewed, but um, like some of them were being held for up to four days. Um, yeah, I was really struck by that. Yeah, well, I think it's um, look. There's a, there's a couple of things here. We we know that often it's difficult for Gardaí to be able to choose as carefully as they would like the conditions in which children are held. Circumstances sometimes overtake those kinds of decisions. And the conditions in certain Garda stations have been a concern for a very long time. This is not a new issue. We do recommend in the study, though, a level of, of planning where that's possible. And it's clear where there is planning, where that's possible, it is much better for everyone. So I think that's the ideal scenario, but we appreciate that's not always that's not always the case. I think the other point I would make about beyond the issue of safety and children's well-being, which really must be centre in these kinds of um, decisions and processes, is the the issue relating to the passage of time. It's it's very evident from the study that children often had no sense really themselves of how long they were there. And we forget, I think, as adults that, and particularly with those who are professions who are working around this environment, that, that the passage of time is is very different um, for an adult than it is for a child. And, and so really, again, if we are to introduce a genuinely child-friendly, child rights compliant approach, we have to be factoring in that perspective um, that, that that simply the passage of time for children is is a very different experience to adults 
And I think one of those that that is one of the really good examples of how the study through its sort of methodology looks to round out the experience of children from those different perspectives. And what we saw really, I think, strongly throughout was just that difference in perspective Um, that what adults were telling us was appropriate and adequate and legitimate and and it was in in every objective sense in terms of information provided and observance of rights in strict terms for children it was experienced very differently and i think that's the real power of of the study in in my view is that that question of of perspective and how important it is that we listen to ch- what children have to say about how they experience these issues yeah it reminds me of um in one of the episodes of police read um a boy who was detained when he was 14. He said, I mean, they kept me there forever. It was ages and ages. I didn't know what was happening. It must have been half an hour. And I was like, oh, that that's not that bad. But, you know, you have to listen from his perspective, right? Completely. And and it's a, it's really it's really an important part of, it's a hugely important part of the study, obviously. But it has to become routine as part of how we, how we respond to these issues. This is what it, a children's rights approach is about, not just interviewing them, but actually looking to involve them in how we develop our responses to these issues, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's almost combining some of this as well. But one of the big about their experiences, how they experience it differently and how they might understand what's happening differently. The issue of legal advice is really important and it receives a lot of attention in the report. So as it stands, um, young people have a right to consult with a lawyer in advance. Uh, We have a a system in Ireland where lawyers are permitted to attend interviews. Um, What did you find in relation to children's experience of accessing legal advice? Well, I think that the most, uh, the, the strongest message through the study around this issue is children's, the, the questionable nature, I suppose, of children's capacity to make those decisions wisely and in their own interests. So we obviously found instances where, yes, children were able to contact and, and access legal advice, have representatives um, support them through the process. And and I think it's important to say that everyone accepted that was absolutely the ideal scenario. Everybody knew how important that was, Gardaí, lawyers and children themselves, to a lesser extent. And I think what we saw m- most importantly then are, were the decisions that, that some children were making out of expedience, out of fear, out of concern for their own well-being and really a desperate desire to get out of where they were in the Garda station and making poor decisions um, when they were certainly either led to believe or understood that it was going to take, in their mind, too long for their solicitor to arrive. And really, I think this is its an interesting academic question because we've we've discussed it over for many years um, as part of work that we've done with um uh, the in, in the context of the, the guidelines on child friendly justice, for instance, in relation to the European um, regulations as well, is it is it compliant with children's rights to allow children to waive their right to a lawyer, which is effectively what's happening here? And I think what we're seeing in this study is it's really not in children's interests to to uh, to 
proceed to police questioning without a lawyer um, having been involved in supporting supporting the child. And we can get later on to to the level of the nature and the quality of that support. But I think fundamentally, uh, we're recommending that this really needs to be looked at as a very a very serious um, case for legislative reform to make this mandatory support for children. Because that is a really interesting point, isn't it? If you're saying like listening to children's voices, that they should have a say. So I'm sure that's a real challenge for you to have to come to that decision. Um, Could you say more maybe about why? Well, I think if you accept that children are uh, particularly given them their their standing in in a Garda station, they're being held accountable in their own right um, for 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 criminal acts. They're answerable and in 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 that sense. And, And they have a level of clearly they've they have criminal responsibility. They also, we would accept as children, have a level of capacity to make decisions um, or certainly to contribute to those decisions. I think where the stakes are so high for children, where the consequences are very real, that can be lifelong in their impact, we don't think that's an appropriate compromise. We don't think that that's something that children should be able to make on their own without, without guidance and support. I think the other really interesting part of the study is is the relationship with parents. And obviously we we spoke, unfortunately, to, to very few parents uh, and, and, and adults in supporting roles. Uh, and this is an area that needs a lot more work. And I see from our uh, the reaction to the research on Twitter that it's an area where in the context of appropriate adults and, and, and substitutes and, and alternates to, to parents, there really needs to be a lot more work. Mm-hmm. And research done, but we we I think we the jury really is still out on on how best to ensure that parents can support their children in uh, in in the guard station during during police questioning. Um, it's a very emotive and complex issue, often for many parents, um, and I think the need for independent advice and support. I think in addition, we would say in addition to legal advice is really, really um, clear from our study. Because they're very different roles, aren't they, Louise? Very different roles. And I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that, um, you know, really came out that this isn't a case of one or the other. Legal advice is not a substitute for parental support and parental support is not a substitute for legal advice. Parents don't have that um, knowledge and um, the ability to give that advice themselves in very many cases. And often um, when they do, there's this conflict in, in the parental role between, you know, um, uh, encouraging a young person to maybe take responsibility for something that they may have been involved in and on the other hand navigating the legal system which can have very serious consequences for a young person as well and so it's not a case of one or the other it's a case of really being clear about what each of those individual roles are and having the appropriate people then in place to provide the different types of support that are needed Um, and I think it's worth saying as well that the young people that we spoke to those who had um, exercised their right to to, to legal advice um, and in some cases to have their solicitor present with them were all extremely positive about um, the benefits of that um, of that advice and of that type of help um, and a couple of young people in the study said 
you know, if I could go back and make decisions earlier on, I would have had the solicitor there sooner. So um, I think that's interesting. It's obviously something that needs to be looked at more. But um, having that legal advice there um, really seems like crucial, um, a crucial step in, in making sure that you, um, young people's rights are respected. Yeah, because I mean, this is a problem throughout the system. And Yvonne Daly and I have been doing work on this more more in the adult cult- context, so not exclusively. Um and like one of the big things is when we see a move towards restorative justice, towards juvenile diversion programs, towards non-course um, approaches, it actually means the interview becomes even more important. There's times where it can almost be of important, same importance as the trial because it may now be determining whether or not it even goes to court or, or what happens. Um, and so, you know, there's literature around this that it's of increasing importance. And so the need to protect rights at that moment is arguably greater than it ever was. Um, particularly as there's, you know, increased professionalism on the part of the guards, um, in a, how they approach interviews. Um, I know you've commented on how the children felt about the legal advice they received, but you also make a number of findings in relation to, um, not just the training, but also how comfortable solicitors feel in that role. And um, could you tell us a bit about that, maybe, Ursula? Well, I think one of the uh, interesting elements of it was that the certainly you had experienced professionals um, responding to what they explained as as very complex situations often. And the complexity came from a number of different perspectives, um, came from a number of different factors, uh, including uh, the the needs of the children themselves, the circumstances in which they found themselves in the police station, uh, and and the charges, of course, that they were they were looking at. So, I think the the need for specialism is is very evident in in the in that complexity you know both both for the guardy and and for solicitors and and to ensure that they have all the appropriate uh, knowledge and expertise both with regard to how the law applies to children but most particularly with regard to to children themselves the, the particular vulnerabilities um uh, of these children um and how they I suppose, play out in these kinds of pressurised environments where children are under significant pressure, um, fearful often of of their own um, circumstances, sometimes their own safety. Um, and that relates also to what may be going on around them as they, as they are brought in for questioning. These are hugely fraught and difficult circumstances for children to be in. And professionals need a lot of support and, and, and training and expertise to be able to respond appropriately and protect children's rights in those contexts. So it's highly specialist work in that respect. And yet it's the day to day for many of the professionals. And so there's a balance there, I suppose. What we recommend, having spoken to those with a lot of expertise, is the need to mainstream that, to have, if possible, to have uh, arenas or fora where where professionals can exchange good practice, can talk about their uh, their experiences and 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 what what is what's worthwhile, what's good, what what works, um, to share that level of expertise, um, to to try to improve the level of consistency that's in the in the system, because that's the other concern out of the study is is really it does depend uh, on on the individual guard and the individual station, 
there are a lot of variables and and really that's not a, a system that gives children confidence about how they're going to be treated and that's where we really want to get to is is where children trust the system um that bit more and and are able to engage um uh, in their own interests um uh, with the supports that they need in 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 these situations yeah, that point around consistency was really interesting and you could even see it in different responses. So a lot of the guys would have said that when it came to how they conducted the interviews, you know, they, they talked a lot about the pitch and the language and all of that, whereas the children didn't seem to always feel that it landed that way. And similarly, you know, solicitors saying 98% of the time, it seems like it's the same as an adult interview. Um, Louise, could you tell us a bit more about what you found in relation to how interviews are conducted? Yes. So, I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that um, Garda Shikona, they all spoke about the Garda Shikona interview model, which in general, they were very positive about and felt that it could be um, adapted very well and to be made very suitable for um, young people. I suppose one of the key things that came out is that even though there was a general awareness that language needs to be adapted, that questions and information needed to be pitched at a certain level, Methods for doing that didn't always seem to be consistent across the board. And also, how do you, as a guard who's about to question somebody, how do you know that that information has sunk in? How do you know that the young person has understood properly what's what's been said? Um, and I think that was one of the things. So so they spoke about, you know, different checks that that um they were to try to carry out to make sure that the information had been understood. Um, you know, it was often spoken about that that the, if the lawyer was there, that was an additional support for, for the guard as well as for the young person in, in aiding that communication, that the parents um could help in terms of aiding that communication as well. But um, you know, it's obviously a very difficult um, task to, 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 for, for all of the professionals involved um, to consider how that information is given, what's appropriate, what's being understood. Um, you know, so I, I think the need for, for increased tools, training um, to increase that consistency across the board and also for people to share practices, good mm. practices that they have found work and to share their methods um, you know, in these very challenging situations is really important in terms of um, that consistency across the board because I mean ultimately children were, were clear that it was the approach of individual members of the Garda Shikwana that really dictated how the experience went for them overall. Yeah and of course because what's, what's happening understanding it, understanding the consequences of answering or not answering questions mm. of, you know, the various decisions you're going to make. And I, I know when Yvonne and I do the, we do training of solicitors for attending interviews because nothing was rolled out. So we got involved in a project that did that. And this is one of the interesting things that solicitors talk about is that when they have consultations, it's so difficult to know if their client has understood. Yeah. And we do a wonderful exercise with them because we have them for a couple of days, then they go off and they come back about six weeks later. And uh, we all get them to say, okay, because usually they're like going, do you understand what I've just told you? And they go, yeah, yeah. And it's fine. So we say, okay, now go away and ask them to repeat it back. And they'll come back to the follow up session. They're like, they only had a quarter of it. I thought they had it all. They only had a quarter. And this is, you know, adults and people who are maybe used to the system and don't have any visibly apparent uh, vulnerabilities that the sister is aware of. 
And I mean, a relevant point to that is the is the level of sort of bravado, for want of a better word, that that might be evident among young people who who are you know who've got reputations to keep up in the community and so on, and who certain personas that they adopt, which are not not exactly consistent with the level of vulnerability they might actually be mm-hmm. um, be be evident. Um, and I think we we saw that in the interviews um, as well how how that played out. Um, and that's where your your open your closed questions are really critical. That's where if the answer is yes or no, well, I can tell you I understood. You absolutely understood, yeah. um, and the reality is very far from the truth. And we find that in court exercises as well with with young people. I think very they will be very slow in that sort of setting to acknowledge that they don't understand and. And we have to make that much more acceptable because it's, there is so much at stake for them. I think the other interesting element, again, a matter of perspective, was when we Louise talked about the the interview model and the experience of of children. That's not possible to say whether they experienced that particular model or or or, or not. But but um, what I think is it was interesting was how they talked. Several of them used the word "tricked." They mm. talked about feeling tricked by what was being put to them. Um, and there was a, there's an interesting parallel where one of one of the guys he interviewed talked about the need to understand the young person, who they were, where they were from, what their interests were, to find out who their football team was um, as, as a means of, of introducing the interview. Um, all, all, um, all good stuff. And, and then the experience of the young person was, why are they asking me about their football? I have no interest in talking to this person about football. <laughs> it was, a, you know, so it's just, it's again one of those really interesting sort of mismatches between in the experience between the professional who's doing the doing doing the 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 job professionally as it's supposed to be done, and you could see entirely legitimately why why it would be done that way, and the experience of the young person who really felt they needed to get out of where they were and they were not interested in having a casual conversation with anybody about anything. And so it's just that. And, and as I said, going back to that, the more serious point about being tricked, young people's perception that they uh, were walking into a scenario that they then couldn't control um, and that there was some bad faith at play here um, in, in, in trapping them into into. Um, giving away information that would incriminate themselves, and that—that's just, you know, there there is um, a real need to get behind some of that to understand better how how this needs to work because we understand completely the importance of the integrity of the criminal process the investigation process we all ultimately want the same thing but the rights of of children must be respected for the the process to have its integrity as well and those concerns presumably are twinned with the fact that. A lot of the young people you spoke to talked about being very poorly treated, if not assaulted by the guards at times, didn't they? I think one of the really interesting things about this is that we didn't ask them specifically about this part of their experience. We did in our questioning in the in the question frame, ask them about how they experienced the process. But this arose spontaneously for several children. And I think the concern is not just the the fact that it was raised, the number of, of cases in which it was raised, really one is too many. Mm. Uh, for many of them, it was a sort of an accepted routine part of the experience um, in the general sense of, of not feeling safe. Um, it, it being, I suppose, the level of accountability that they experienced as part of that process mm-hmm. too. So we really recommend 
obviously zero tolerance in relation to the treatment of children in these situations that that's a given to be honest um everyone is entitled as we've spoken about before vicky to be to have their integrity respected and protected while they're in custody but really i think where there's a significant gap is in how we ensure uh, through accountability uh, that children's rights are protected um in particular that children are given information about about the the right to complain, how they complain, what that process involves, and really that's a that's a very considerable gap so far. We we know the work of the Guardian Economic Ombudsman Commission. We know the opportunity for children to complain there. Uh, I think there's a significant gap between where children are, certainly the children that we've spoken to, and and the prospect of that delivering some level of accountability to, to them. Um, and there's a huge, huge amount of work to be done now, I think, to um, improve children's access to complaint mechanisms and to ensure that those are effective and accessible to them. And that's also, I suppose, n- not to forget how difficult it is for a child to complain about ill treatment at the hands of Gardaí. That that is requires a much more holistic and broader response, to, you know, beyond the individual complaints mechanisms. Yeah, and that that I suppose relates to another point I found really striking. And I might ask you, Louise, like I suppose we expect these, like you know, you're talking about kids who are 14 to 18 mm-hmm. who are have been arrested we we probably have this image of our heads of these like you know kids with all that bravado and everything but quite a few of them talked about being really scared didn't they and a bit scarred by their incidents um yes some of them did um find the experience incredibly stressful and spoke about being really scared really frightened wanting um to to just get out of um the garda station as quickly as as possible um Others, it has to be said, you know, said that their, their, their experiences were grand, that they were straightforward. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that, that came out, um, of it a little bit, and this is from the child's point of view, but also from the point of view of, um, of, of Gardaí is that, um, some young people who had multiple experiences spoke about how frightening and how stressful it was the first time or the second time and then kind of said, Oh, look, you, you, get used to it. And um, we asked Gardy as well about how they felt that young people coped in this situation. And often that point came out as well. Well, Gardy also did acknowledge, by the way, that, that it was a very stressful experience for young people. But some said, look, you know, some people are more used to it. You know, if they're in and out, they have, they have um, become more familiar with it. But I think regardless of the, the level of contact that somebody has had, the amount of time they've been questioned, they're still a child. <laughs> they're still in a very vulnerable situation and having to navigate, you know, these very complex legal processes with very serious consequences um, from that point of view of, of, of vulnerability and um, perhaps not fully understanding. Okay. So, so what are the key recommendations from the study? Well, we think, I suppose, first of all, there's a couple of policy questions that we think really need to be addressed. I mean, one one is we, we think there should be clear guard a policy on the interviewing of child suspects. I mean, we, we accept that there is already some legal provision in place. There are clearly uh, provisions in, in the Children Act and, and, and in other uh, regulations. But I think that there is a need from the study to really augment and detail exactly what uh, the process should look like from 
uh, from a children's point of view to develop clear Garda policy on the expectations um, that will play out in in each instance, and that that's I think then something that can be can be monitored, can be can be um, uh, can be tracked, and so on. I think that's that's the first thing. I think the other um, significant policy area we we point to is around the role of the appropriate adult, and I think we probably we would go to say go go so far as to say that the 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 role the respective roles and res- responsibilities of the individuals involved need to be clarified as part of that process. We think there needs to be consideration given to. Uh, an appropriate adult type scheme where we have f- in, in in all instances availability of independent trained and, and, and guard vetted adults to support children who don't have parental care. Uh, we think that no interviews should go ahead without that being in place. And that's, that's again, I think, a, a, not a new issue in the Irish context. And, and many jurisdictions are ahead of us on this. We've got a lot to learn. And, and so I think that's that's the second piece. I suppose the third, I suppose staying with the, the sort of law and policy type issues, the other one is it really is that question of mandatory uh, legal uh, advice for children um, in in these situations. We think that that needs to be a given very active consideration um, coming out of the study. But there are there are other obviously recommendations, and know that um, Louise can can talk through those. Um, yeah, I mean, so so really one of the other kind of key things aside from those kind of law and policy elements is thinking about how we develop tools and resources um, for um, aiding communication, for aiding understanding. Things like explaining the role of a lawyer um, to a young person so that they understand the role they can play at the interview process as well as, for example, in trial, which I think is the more usual image that, that, that people have of lawyers. Um, things like explaining the process, what's going to happen, and um, for young people knowing what was going to happen um, within the process, but also what was going to happen afterwards, what was going to to happen next was was um, incredibly important. So, developing those types of tools and resources and um, that help communication, that detail the way information has to be given, so that children can um, understand it, and also methods for establishing whether and how well children understand um, what's being given to them. And there are a number of resources that have been developed internationally in other jurisdictions that can provide a model in terms of how we think about um, how we think about this. And I think the other core thing is um, training for the professionals who are involved in this process. So, I mean, one of the issues really was that there is um, and there was examples of good practice out there of, of people really making significant efforts to change the environment to, to adapt their their approach um, but the lack of consistency is really a problem um, and if every child is to have their their rights respected you have to have professionals who, who know um, how, how to um, interact with young people in that way so in that way mainstreaming of, of training and um, for Gardaí who have contact with children, but also mainstreaming training for lawyers who are um, interacting with, with children and advising children in this way is really crucial, um, I think, in terms of trying to establish um, good standards across the board. I think the other thing, it would be really great to see uh, Gardaí Shikana take, take on, uh, I think, an extension of the role that it, that it plays in other areas of really looking to, to develop ways to communicate, to hear directly from children and young people about their experiences and to include them in the development of policy and guidance. I mean, we can make these recommendations based on our experience of talking to children and young people and, and to, to the adults involved. 
but it's really would be really important that the opportunity that present that, that that's presented now to hear directly from children and young people by uh, a Garda Shikana as, as an organisation would be taken on board. I think that would be um, really fitting. Um, response to the study um, in in terms of taking seriously how how children experience their rights and and that any proposals around the introduction of policy mainstreaming training involves children and young people themselves I think it's it's um, very evident from the study how uh, reflective and how um, articulate how how powerful children's voices are and and I think we have a responsibility to to respond at every level um, to to those voices. Yeah, and I know you call for more research. Um, I think personally, I think it'd be brilliant to get to the point where, as we see in other jurisdictions, that research can involve uh, reviewing actual interviews as mm-hmm. well to, to have that objective assessment of what's going on. Um, and a lot of the recommendations there will hopefully be space in the the coming year or two with a new police powers bill. Um, to implement some of these. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much to both of my guests, Louise and Ursula. Um, it's really great to hear about this work and to get to spend some proper time talking about it. Um, we'll post a link to the report in the blurb for the piece. Um, Policed itself is on a short break before season four kicks off around Paddy's Day. Um, as ever, please head to patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. And for the price of a cup of coffee of the month, you can help us support and bring this content to you. So thank you both. <laughs>